leading Australian brainiacs with actual qualifications and credibility appear to have gone all Iron Mike Tyson in the general direction of my personal hero, Rubbity Dubstep, in his capacity as the titular head of Club Grubby Carmaker in Lobbyland. I'm John Cadogan from autoexpert.com.au and I get new cars cheap in Australia. But not if you are an lobbyist. There are still a few lines that I just won't cross, dude. Some dirt I will not dig. Website. Card. Click it. I dare you. You know you want to, dude. Don't think of a pink elephant. And this, of course, is the whole point, dude. Shredinger's card. It's up there, superposited. Try not clicking. The waveform is just, you know, gagging to collapse. Before we get cracking on this one, some most exciting news in the YouTube domain. This really is trouser TP stuff, at least to me. Australia's ambassador to Dingo Piss Creek and good bloke, Andrew St. Pierre White, ASPW, who runs the excellent 4 by Overland YouTube channel. He's just taken blue singlet bravery to a whole new level. He is amazing, that man, driving a 45-year-old Range Rover along the Canning Stock Route. Minimum of three testes required to step into that isolated ring in such a fine <laughs> machine. I would rather swim with sharks after losing a fight with a giant friggin' cheese grater, frankly. At least in that case, it'd be over quickly. The canning, of course, is an excellent shakedown run for the arduous trip to Dingo Piss Creek itself. Now, if you're not from around here, the Canning is 1,800 kilometres of endless, desolated, unsealed flirting with the Gibson and Great Sandy Deserts over in WA. You really are out there the whole time in the gaffer. And in ASPW's case, he was out there with Rob, John and Sean. I am livid, in spite of their typically... On Quebla diligence, the production team managed to leave one key participant to the ASPW canning odyssey out of the script. Heiner Klarman, who, let's face it, the story would not have happened without him, is in many ways the star of the show. Don't think I didn't notice you down there, Heiner. Who could forget the haunting beauty of Heiner walks round in the desert without a shirt again, or Heiner lies down in the dirt attempting to effect a fix of shitbox Range Rover again. Dude, love your work. Please accept my apology, and by way of recompense, if I ever have a son, I'm going to name him Jack or Tom. Anything, essentially, but Heiner. Just four healthy middle-aged dudes for three weeks, totally alone, isolated in, you know, various states of undress with their disco shirts and their pink recovery points. 
and a Range Rover, of course, that was new when they were basically all too young to enter an hotel. <sighs> what happens on the canning stays on the canning, of course, except in the videos, obviously. Will the Solly Hall shit box survive? Find out in ASPW's 12-parter over the next few weeks. Episode 1 just went live on YouTube. I will put a link in the description. What could possibly go wrong? Grab a bottle of Shiraz and find out, dude. It's actually very funny. And the rangey only shat itself twice on the way to the start line, so... That's nice. Kind of a new record for British reliability right there. Plus, they use a high-tech piece of string to keep its rear hatch closed from the get-go. Nice engineering touch, ASPW dudes. Preparation is, of course, everything for a trip of this nature. Very baden frigging pal. Well done, dudes. Link in the description. <laughs> Now, on a somewhat more serious note, Ben Covey from SMH has jammed one fair into my beloved FCAI, the Federal Chamber of Auto Industries, which, if you ask it, is a peak body representing car makers. I love them because they generate endless material for me. Endless. But if you ask me, the FCAI is just a grubby, under-the-table, reach-around factory located deep in the Lobbyland sewer, historically quite active at a range of anti-consumer activities, including delaying the adoption of the latest emission standards and even blocking the mandatory fitting of rollover protection on quad bikes, to name just two glaring anti-consumer FCAI initiatives. The FCAI is also bipolar, apparently, because it will look you in the eye, even today, and tell you how it has your best interests at heart. Preposterously. Today, the FCAI is just gagging to stick its hand up the back of Chris Bowen, the new Federal Minister for Climate Change and Energy, while simultaneously shoving the car industry's filthy agenda deep down his pie hole. And we've all seen movies like that. Dear Minister Bowen, here's what you should think, and of course, even more importantly, what you must do urgently, kind of thing. The epically bullshit term for this process is... Thought leadership. <laughs> if the chamber were Camelot, King Arthur would be Matthew Callahor, who was also senior cheese of Toyota Shitsville. Toyota Shitsville, of course, the company which thought it was quite okay to lie to people just like you 260,000 times over several years over the disgraceful. 2.8 diesel DPF trouser defecation fiasco, which ultimately saw the federal court take the leash off its aggregated damages powers and declare the big T misleading and deceptive shithead of the month, quite recently, opening the door to more than 2.6 billion bucks in potential compensation. Anyway, 
Properly qualified Shitsvillian brainiacs have erected a set of fact-based speed humps on the road to the government adopting the FCAI's proposed bullshit emission standard, which, if adopted, would see Australia remain number one at number twos in terms of CO2 emissions from cars compared with, you know, a properly advanced nation. It's a typical delaying tactic we've seen across legacy industries from tobacco to emissions. Audrey Queek there, the author of that paper on reducing transport emissions, which was released on Monday. She runs the nation's longest-running survey on attitudes towards climate change, and she's got a degree in environment, environmental management, and climate science. So, clearly overqualified if she ever wanted to be a lobbyist, unlikely, probably has a moral compass too. Let's face it, that would hardly be an asset. From the car company's perspective, they're operating globally, so they're pigeonholing Australia as a place where they can keep selling these polluting high-emissions vehicles. They can rejig production to balance it out. To some extent, they can use Australia as an offset for places where there are standards. Gareth Bryant there, he's a senior lecturer at the University of Sydney, specialising in climate and energy finance. Nice to see Australia becoming a dumping ground again. <coughs> Think you'd agree. Toyota is, of course, the most powerful member of the FCAI. Power there is apportioned on a market share pro rata basis. The Chamber's agenda is therefore mainly Toyota's agenda. Toyota, of course, is a freaking gold medal winner at greenwashing itself. If you believe Toyota's bullshit, they're not just virtuous. They are worthy of a Nobel fucking peace prize for environmental stewardship. Saving that planet one Prius at a time. <laughs> Meanwhile, under the table out here in reality, Toyota are full-on inhuman anti-environmental lobbyists worldwide, advocating strenuously for weaker emissions regulations, seemingly wherever possible. And this is exactly what is going on here. Upliftingly, Toyota effectively told the recent Glasgow Climate Summit to go fuck itself, and Influence Map, an organisation you've probably never heard of, which tracks climate-related lobbying worldwide, found Toyota to be the world's third filthiest culprit at attempting to undermine the adoption of better emissions regulations. Let us not forget that emissions regulations are in fact human health regulations because pollution from vehicles kills more people prematurely than car crashes. They're called facts. The only two companies better at this particular form of inhuman bastardry were Chevron and ExxonMobil, according to Influence Map. So it's a real achievement even to get on the podium here, given the inhuman calibre of the competition. This was determined following an analysis of 350 giant corporate emitters. Toyota are anti-environmental cocks at their core, I think it's fair to say. The FCAI proposal to retain the existing voluntary emissions scheme will retain the status quo of Australia, 
having the highest car CO2 emissions compared to the leading countries of Norway, Germany, the UK and the Netherlands. Monash University's Dr Diane Kral there, Senior Lecturer in Business Law and Taxation. The FCAI's proposal is in fact just high-level Toyota fellatio. The voluntary standard delivers pats on the back all round in the form of CO2 credits for all those pre-I and Toyota's other only just hybrids. But all of the CO2 belched by Toyota's big shitters, I'm looking at you, Land Cruiser and Softcock, Prado, Hilux, Kluger, etc. That just gets swept under the rug as if it does not exist. Nice one. Speaking of the UK, you know in London there's one public EV fast charging station for every six EVs out there on the road. Thousands of public chargers have been retrofitted to light poles. Instant charging solution for everyone who cannot park off street. Here in Shitsville, of course, I'm just hearing crickets on that. Finding a public charger anywhere in this country, but especially in regional Shitsville, remains an extreme sport guaranteed to suck out your soul and crush your will to live. I've just come back from three years in the UK and it's just incredible that you can walk the streets of Sydney and the streets of London and see such an amazing difference in the electric vehicle infrastructure and uptake. It's just so much about government policy. So much stems from that. Engineering professor Richard Hopkins there, a petrol head like us, from the School of Engineering at the University of New South Wales. I don't know about you, but letting Toyota become effectively the new federal government's thought-leading fuck buddy on emissions policy, that's right up there with making mad bad Vlad the chairman of the UN Security Council. A senior executive Toyota dickheads cannot even admit that plug-in hybrid is a superior idea compared with the absurdly named self-charging shitbox hybrids, which they inflict so effortlessly on the low-IQ Schittsvillian car buyer today. With their awesome nickel-metal-hydride battery technology... <laughs> So, less advanced than an Ozito battery drill driver combo from Bunnings, in other words. As for Toyota's EVs, they can't even keep the wheels on. I reported on that yesterday. True story, dude. The BZ4X Toyota EV co-developed with Subaru is grounded in miracle because of its serendipitous auto wheels just fall off feature. No fix is in sight. I could not make that shit up. Here in Australia, those Toyota cocks are simply allergic to plugging anything in, except of course themselves and their grubby agenda into any government minister dumb enough to listen. Toyota actually thinks downsizing the Land Cruiser to 3.3 litres and reducing its monstrous obesity to a staggering 2.5 tonnes empty constitutes something of a concession to environmental virtue. 
In other news, facts still struggle to exist. Now, it appears that independent experts separated by institution, state and vocation are all, to a greater or lesser extent, calling bullshit on the Toyotification of the National Vehicle Emissions Landscape proposed by the peak body of the Rubbity Dubster. One final issue. We won't be able to rely solely on improvements in car technology to lower CO2 emissions without taxation assistance to lower the upfront cost of EVs. Dr. Kralmeister there, again from Monash, as she's never known up until now, of course. Being a lowly, washed-up mechanical engineer shouting at the sky here in his fat cave on a Friday afternoon, I am somewhat reluctant to take on an actual qualified expert in taxation. So perhaps I should put it like this. And if you've never seen it before, it is rare, I know. This is me trying to be respectful. Here goes. Please explain how subsidising the upfront cost of an EV is not merely an example of backhanding some rich bastard just so he can get an 80000 buck luxury car cheaper. Especially in a country where there's just so many fucked up things at the moment crying out for public funding. Bushfire and national disaster preparedness, pandemic response, border security, energy security, aged care, the national debt, wealth inequality, etc. There is an extraordinarily long list of seemingly more deserving causes demanding public funding, at least that's how it seems to me. Even EV charging infrastructure and the composition of the grid. Are these things all not more deserving of your tax dollars? How exactly is reducing the cost of a Kia EV6 GT line all-wheel drive or something from 86000 bucks drive away, which it is currently, to, I don't know, seventy-five grand? How is that? a net benefit to society if the taxpayer is underwriting it, right? I'd suggest that most people who can afford a 75000 buck car can find another eleven grand if they really want to. And if you really can only afford seventy-five grand, just, like, deal with it, dude. Suck it up like a big boy. Whereas... In other areas of society, I'd suggest that 11 grand would be the difference between a life of utter shit or not in so many ways. So there's that. It's heavy stuff, isn't it? I'd love to know what you think on that score in the comments below. To subsidise or not? And what should we prioritise in an environment of record eye-watering government debt? Do we subsidise the chicken, that is the EV, or the egg of the charging infrastructure? And what should come first? Or do we just let the free market work it all out? After all, the free market always gets it just bang on, don't they? Let me know in the comments where we should go on this one. This is going to be an extraordinarily big issue over the next several years. We might even get a response from Dr. Kralmeister. Stranger things have happened. 
Have a good weekend, dudes.